the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road racers, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. Episode one of the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. I'd like to welcome you all on board. Thank you for listening. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time, this podcast, and I've been holding myself back, but I've taken the step. And I'm looking forward to bringing you guys a ton of knowledge and a ton of inspiring stories and information from the people who come on this podcast. So why did I call it the High Performance Podcast? High performance to me, it's not about being the best in the world at something. High performance just means being the best version of yourself. It means performing at the highest level possible for you. So to do that, it requires us to have a thirst for knowledge. It requires us to accept that we're going to be a forever student. And it requires us to take failures in our stride and turn them into lessons because we know that ultimately they're making us stronger. So that's why I'm excited today to have Daryl from Shots Sports Nutrition on the podcast as one of the first episodes because nutrition is most definitely one of the things that has allowed me to reach a higher level of performance within myself. So what I love about Daryl is he thinks outside of the box compared to the average person. He knows that there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to nutrition, and he's actually developed a product that is adaptable to each and every person when it comes to sports nutrition. So there's heaps of nuggets in this podcast of information, heaps of takeaways and practical Um, tips that you can utilize. We touch on everything from sports nutrition to normal everyday nutrition and we also get a bit of an insight as to how Daryl's worked with the best riders in off-road in Australia and a bit of an insight into how they train, how they attack their nutrition protocols and also their mindset. So what what he sees is the difference um, with these guys mindset and how they put it together on race day. So there's some heaps of really cool knowledge in there. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do a follow-up podcast to this one in about a month's time, hopefully. So any questions you've got around any of these topics that we speak about in the podcast, shoot me a message, whether it's a direct message on Facebook or Insta or email me through my website, which is listed at the end of this podcast. Get in touch with me anyhow send the questions through and we're going to have a follow-up podcast so if you do need to ask anything at all we can ask Daryl and you can get the information you need so you can put that into practical application with your own nutrition on the bike and in day-to-day life so again thank you for listening looking forward to bringing you heaps of awesome podcast content here goes the first episode with Daryl from Shots Sports Nutrition please check it out and thank you for listening Okay, um, I'd like to welcome Daryl Griffiths from Shots Sports Nutrition Company onto the podcast today. Daryl's super passionate about uh, endurance sports and sports nutrition. So welcome to the podcast, Daryl. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Um, I guess firstly, what I'd like to start with is just a bit of your backstory, perhaps. Um, I'm super passionate about nutrition myself, so that's why I was pretty keen to have someone like you on the podcast at the start. Um, 
I don't know heaps about you, but I know I know you're obviously passionate about endurance sports and passionate about nutrition. So where did that all start for you? Um, it started probably well, well over 20 odd years ago. Um, I've always been interested in performance and that sort of thing. And I'd raced triathlon and I raced um, adventure sport and mountain biking and that sort of thing. Yeah. It was um, in my uh, mid twenties as a firefighter that triggered my interest the most. And that was um, as a firefighter, you recognize things really quickly in regards to um, how people perform in different conditions. And what I did notice was that some firefighters handled heat better than others. Right. And, uh, that really intrigued me. So um, over, you know, uh, probably a year or two, um, it, it just became more and more of a, of a, um, a question that I needed answered. And I wasn't getting the answers from people who were the supposed experts in the field. So I started doing my own research. and. Uh, what what I did work out that the firefighters that were able to handle those um, hot environments better had a lower sweat rate and they interestingly had a lower sodium concentration in their sweat. Um, right. And conversely, the guys who um, struggled a bit more in the heat had higher sweat rates and higher sodium concentrations in their sweat. So I took that information um, and developed some products but importantly thought that, you know, this could um, move across into sports as well and performance. And then I started testing athletes and all that sort of thing. So um, over right. that time, I've tested over 1,300 athletes in that period. Yeah. So you were actually working as a firefighter, were you? Yeah. Is that what started? Yeah. yeah. Working as a firefighter and recognising yeah. that um, regardless of how fit the firefighter was, some just handled the heat much better than others. Um, right. And there wasn't really one thing that was, um, there wasn't a, a, a specific reason for it. Um, so that's, that's what triggered my interest in finding out why they were able to. Right. Hmm. So, and they were sort of looking for something to help them in those areas where they, in that sort of their performance in those. Yeah. In so yeah. Hydration obviously had a huge um, yeah, uh, impact on how a firefighter performed, and you you know you didn't need to be on the fire ground for very long to to uh, experience dehydration, um, even at a high level. So at the time we were just given a powdery drink, and it was the exact same product for every single firefighter. Yeah, and that didn't make sense to me because we all got different size boots, different size gloves, different size jackets. Everything was customized to our size yet nothing was customized to our, our hydration. Yeah. So that's where I started to, I thought, well, I need to develop a product that I can, if someone has a higher sodium concentration in their sweat or they sweat more and they need to drink more, then they don't want to be locked into a set volume of fluid or a set amount of electrolyte. They need to customize. So that was the reason for developing the electrolyte tablet. Um, so if one firefighter might only need one tablet, another firefighter might need three tablets. So, yeah. um, and then that crossed over into, into uh, the athletes and sport um, from there. Yeah. So I, did, I didn't do a whole, 
I don't, like I said, I don't know you that well, but I did a little bit of research um, but before this. I listened to a, a few bits and pieces of the other podcasts you've done. Yeah. Um, one of the things I heard you say in one of them, which I really liked, um, was that nobody's an expert, really. No. Um, and when I think I probably agree with you there, when, when, when you think you're an expert or when you think you've learned it all, and that's probably when you start to go backwards. So yeah, you, you, You're always learning. Um, yeah. And there's always something that'll pop up that you probably haven't experienced before. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, experts are when you're talking about the human body and performance, yeah. the fact that everyone is different and then there's so many variables to consider. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a pretty, um, it, yeah, it's a word that should never be used in sports <laughs> nutrition or, or performance or, Anything to do with the human body. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're far from experts when it comes to the human body. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. Like, I'm sure, like, the, the more I learn, the more I realise I don't know, really. But yeah. I think well, that's probably one of the cool things about it is there's always something else we can yeah. learn, always some another 1% or another 2% we can, we can exactly. try and look for. Exactly. And that's the thing that I, I teach with the athletes that I do work with is that, you know, while this nutrition plan worked on this day, it's not necessarily going to be the same nutrition plan for the next race because mm. weather conditions will then alter um, your plan. So, you know, going into an event with the same plan all the time, um, you can actually, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's something you just need to be mindful of. It's, uh, it's like, you know, with motorbikes and particularly motocross or any type of, of, of motor racing, is that you've got to set your bike up for the conditions. Yeah. And, um, you know, you might use different tyres or a different um, suspension or whatever it might be, but you're always making those changes. Um, so you need to be considerate that the body's the same. If it's different conditions, you're going to, um, to, you're going to um, experience different losses. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think that's the – I got your book this week and I flicked through it, read, read most of it. It's a really good read. It's probably, I think it's definitely one of the better books I've read on sports nutrition for sure. Thanks, mate. Absolutely. Um, but I think that's what I like about it the most and what I like about you is that there's not that one-size-fits-all approach. Because um, I, think, I think too often people are looking for that, that silver bullet, whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, whether it's getting quicker on their bike. They're looking for that one thing that's going to make them better. But you and I probably both know there is no one thing like it's because we're all so different. What, yeah, works, what works for one won't necessarily work for the next. So exactly. it's, about te- it's about testing, it's about learning and being in tune with what works for you. 100%. It's the, that's the key. It's understanding um, exactly that. There's, uh, there's so many variables to consider. Um, yeah. And uh, that's the main crux of the book is that um, you need to understand your own losses, your own numbers, because someone else's numbers do, it doesn't matter what someone else is losing. It's uh, yeah. what you're losing. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Like in the book you do, you break it down to sweat loss, sodium and electrolytes, and then separating hydration and calories. Yeah. So, um, Hadar, which was on recently is a really good example. Um, yeah. so this year was actually quite cool. Um, compared to yeah, last it was. year, it was actually quite hot. Yeah. And when you saw the riders finish the four-hour last year, 
2017. Yeah, it was there was a lot of carnage. Like there were guys just falling off their bikes at the finish. Um, this year was a little different. Being a lot cooler, sweat loss wasn't as great, and, nor, and, and neither was the amount of sodium that the athlete lost or the rider lost. So um, having that understanding there is that if you use the same plan for 2017 in regards to a hydration um, um, strategy, then it most likely wouldn't have worked for this year because um, when it's cold, you don't need to drink as much. Yeah. When it's hot, you need to drink more. And those losses have a huge impact, not just on muscle function, but on brain function. And that's Absolutely. the biggest, yeah, and that's the biggest thing that um, I try to get across to the motocross riders that I work with is that um, the brain and, and uh, mental fatigue, it's something that you, you need to avoid. Um, mm. Making mistakes on, on motorbikes is, you know, there's huge consequences. So, um, yeah, it can end your day pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing is that, you know, with triathlon or road running or all those other type of endurance sports, you might make a mistake and maybe roll your ankle or, you know, something like that, but, um, which is unfortunate, but, you know, coming off a bike at a hundred K an hour is a, a lot different. Absolutely. Yeah. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you how I'd love for you to explain like for the listeners, I've got a little bit of an understanding of this, but how our sport, I guess is a bit different with that mental load like we know the brain uses 20 percent of our calories roughly at rest yeah obviously like we're reading terrain coming at us at 100k plus an hour in a desert race like Hatter. so that mental function that we're having to perform over on top of the physical um function is massive like so that re the requirements for our calories and etc are going to be huge how do you see that like when it compares to something like a triathlon yeah, so um, a good analogy is a road runner and a trail runner. Yeah. So a road runner can pretty much switch off. They don't really need to, to use too much brain power. Um, yeah. A trail runner, um, they're always looking for a rut or a, a stick, or, you know, a log or a rock or whatever. So they're always mindful of where they're placing their foot. So those two runners will do the exact same run at the exact same intensity but the trail runner will always feel a lot more fatigued at the end because they've just used a lot more energy mentally. Now, from a, a, a motocross perspective, um, you can't actually record how much energy you expend um, having to process so much information. Yeah. You can, you can kind of get an idea of what your calorie or energy expenditure is physically just from heart rate. Um, but to then work out how much energy is being expended by the brain, you know, when you, you, you mentioned you're spot on, it's about 20% of your energy is used by the brain just at rest. Mm. But to process that information of all those things that you need to be able to make sure that, you know, you just missed that tree or you hit the berm at the right point and you break um, at the right time and accelerate at the right time and um, be able to, shift your body weight if the bike doesn't behave like you thought it was or you have to um, make some decision very quickly um, the brain is utilizing massive amounts of energy so 
that the, the main fuel in that regard is glucose. Yeah. And while our, our muscles store glucose in the form of glycogen, that glycogen is only um, available to the working muscle. So it doesn't release into the bloodstream to then become circulating blood glucose for the brain to access. So we have a, um, a pretty small amount of glycogen in our liver, which is released into the bloodstream to help our brain or to help fuel our brain. But how long that lasts for a motocross rider, well, it's depending on the sort of trail that you're riding, it may yeah. not last that long because, you know, obviously some trails you need to think a lot more than others. If it's just open dirt track, it's just, you know, pin it. But when you're having to, you know, um, miss obstacles and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it becomes um, something that... Um, motorbike riders need to be really conscious of and making sure that they are fueling properly so they keep the brain active and functioning as best as best as possible yeah. yeah so you think that's so your strategy with that is is using obviously the the energy gels to have that circulating glucose in the system there yeah it's it's when you talk about um trying to fuel the brain as quickly as possible and, and the active muscles as well. Yeah. Um, the, the gels, it's pretty hard to beat. Um, the fact that you can get a large amount of calories in a small volume, um, but importantly, it has a low thermic effect. And what that means is that it's delivered to the bloodstream very quickly with a very small amount of energy required. So you're not drawing a heap of blood away from the active muscles to the stomach to have to deal with it. It's, it passes through very quickly and becomes um, uh, a form that the, the um, muscles and brain can ac um, access quite quickly. Yeah, sure. Um, so tell me a bit about your product in particular because I know a lot of gels out there are made from simple sugars and fructose, things like this. Um, and I know you've, you've got a bit of a section in the book there um, on trying to avoid those types of things. So how have you formulated your gels in particular? So they're, um, I guess, more of a complex type carbohydrate. Yeah, so the, the molded dextrins that, the, that yeah, they use for manufacturing EGLs is about 150 different forms of, of uh, molded dextrin. Yeah. So I guess you use the, the, the fuel that you'll put on your bike. You know, if you want it to perform well, you put the premium fuel in there and the same goes with, with these types of ingredients when you're talking about calories. And so molded dextrin, you've got your expensive molded dextrins, which have gone through minimal process and they don't have a lot of, um, or they don't have any processed refined sugars. So as you get down towards the, the lower end of those molded dextrins, there's more refined processed sugars, um, crystalline form which are cheap and um, while it seemingly might do the same job um, it's not a fuel that the body will use as quickly or as efficiently so that's the difference between um, the the formulation with the shots is that we use a, a, a high-grade maltodextrin um, which is a lot more expensive but um, you know we're, we're in the business of 
of performance. We're not in the business of using cheap ingredients and then using a lot of a lot more money in marketing and all that sort of stuff, which is um, probably the, the main reason is that sports nutrition is dominated by marketing companies. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And they'll tell you how fantastic their product is, but um, there's a big difference between um, <clears throat> how good someone says something is and how good it actually is. So that's the, I think that's the main reason it's that, that um, premium fuel or premium ingredients as opposed to refined sugars and processed ingredients. Yeah. Because is that like talking about how the, the gut can tolerate um, those calories? We're more inclined to sort of experience a bit of distress possibly from those more simpler sugars and fructose compared to the maltodextrin. Yeah, well, some, some athletes can handle them fine. Like some athletes yeah. have any issues. They've got iron stomachs. Yeah. But then you've got other athletes that will have not, – they're not more sensitive. It's more that they have um, a, a higher response to refined processed sugars and to things that, you know, for whatever reason. So the stomach is so amazingly complex. Like it's, it's yeah. that second brain. It's just hundreds of millions of neurons. It's, uh, oh, they don't really have a great understanding of the stomach because it's so complex, but, um, some people just can't tolerate refined processed sugars and yeah. it'll just turn their stomach inside out. And a lot of the time, um, you know, they'll blame, you know, a particular gel or, or it might be their drink or whatever it might be but it's, it's about trialing different things and the whole ethos, ethos of the formulations that I've put together is that I need to make sure I use ingredients that are going to be as gentle as possible on the stomach yeah. because at elevated heart rate, your senses are heightened and especially the stomach, like what it can tolerate at rest is obviously, you know, far, far better or far greater than what it can um, when you know, your heart rate's at 160, 170 while you're flying along a dirt track. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. So just jumping back to, I guess, the sweat loss and the, the electrolyte side of it, yep. um, I know you do the, the sweat test kit. Is that how, like, to work out our sweat loss and our sodium concentration? Yeah, um, so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's actually, it's pretty simple, really, like, the, the two things are the, in regards to hydration, the two main things is, is actual sweat or the water that you're losing yeah, and the electrolyte that you're losing in that sweat. And the, the main electrolyte you're losing in sweat is sodium. Um, but what a lot of the riders can do, and I know it's a lot easier if you're just being, if you're able to ride from home, but um, when they go out riding, start to measure their pre and post weight. So, and it's as simple as measuring um, your weight nude before going for a, for a ride. And then um, importantly, measuring your, yourself with the drinks that you're going to be taking with you. So if you've got a hydration pack or whatever it might be, you weigh yep. yourself with that hydration pack nude. Yeah. And then head out for your ride, whether it's an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it might be. You come back, weigh yourself again nude with that same hydration pack. Um, and if you've drunk some out of there, it gives you a net loss. So your, your pre-weight 
and your post weight, the difference between your pre and post weight is an approximation of how much sweat you lost in that session. Um, and, you know, two riders can go out on the exact same day, um, riding the exact same intensity. Um, one might lose, you know, a litre and the other one might lose two litres. Um, and it's just, yeah. it's just the cards you dealt. Some athletes just lose a lot more sweat than others and others just don't need to sweat much to keep a, a safe core temperature. Um, so it's having that understanding um, that how much sweat you lose in different conditions, it makes it much easier then to go, okay, well, right, this is how much I'm losing um, on, this, on this particular day when the temperature might be 20 degrees. I know I need to drink five to 600 mils an hour um, to try and um, replace what I'm losing. And the thing is, and going back to the stomach, is that you'll never replace the amount that you lose. So yeah, if you lose absolutely. a litre an hour, you might aim to drink probably five to 600 mil an hour, about 50 to 60% of your loss. Because your stomach will never be able to keep up with the amount you lose. You'll always lose more than your stomach can process. So that's, that's an important thing. Um, more for your longer endurance races where those deficiencies start to build up and start to impact on your performance. Yeah. You can kind of get away with it in those shorter races because the losses don't build up as much to, to impact too much on your performance. Right. Yeah. So the, the sweat loss is going to be something that's always a variable depending on, depending on the environment, but our sweat concentration, that's something that is unique to each and every one of us. Yeah, right? so exactly. Yeah, so the sodium concentration of your sweat is unique to, to the athlete. So yeah. of the 13, you know, over 1,300 tests I've done now, the lowest has been 311 milligrams. That's per one liter of sweat. So for every one liter of sweat that athlete loses, there's 311 milligrams of sodium present, which is, which is quite low. The highest is that I've tested is 3,084. So there's a big range. Yeah, um, it's massive. <laughs> yeah. And, that's, and those numbers have sort of popped up. In, in, when I wrote the book, it was about between 500 and 2,300. Um, but now I've done a lot more testing and you know, obviously um, a lot more athletes have become interested in this sort of thing that I'm seeing a huge, a much bigger range in, in uh, sodium concentrations. Now, this is where it's, it doesn't get complicated, but if you, let's say for instance, you and I had the exact same sodium concentration in our sweat. So let's say we had a thousand milligrams of sodium for every one liter of sweat we lost. Yeah. And, and you, you and I were riding Hatter, so we knew we were gonna be out there for four hours. And it was gonna be, you know, say 20, 21 degrees. Um, you might be losing, let's say 1.2 liters an hour sweat. And I might be a heavy sweater and I'm probably losing two liters an hour. Now, although we've got the same sodium concentration in our sweat, mm you're losing 1.2 liters of sweat. So it's 1.2 times a thousand milligrams. So you're losing 1200 milligrams of sodium an hour. Yeah. 
Now, my sodium concentration is the same as yours, but I'm losing a greater volume of sweat. So I'm losing two liters of sweat. So it's two liters times a thousand. So I'm losing 2000 milligrams of sodium to your 1200. Yeah, right. Even though the concentration is the same. So this is where having an understanding of, of your sweat loss will give you a good idea of, you know, making sure that in cold conditions, you're not drinking too much because having too much can have the same impact as not having enough. But in hotter conditions, making sure you're drinking as much as your stomach can tolerate to minimize the impact that those losses have on you. Yeah. Because when, and, and this is a thing that a lot of athletes don't understand is that when you sweat, that water that ends up on your skin to help with cooling that comes from the water component of your blood. Your blood's about 80% water. So when you're losing that sweat, you're actually reducing the amount of blood you have available. So you've got less blood. Yeah, right. So two things happen there. You've got less blood and blood is our transport system. That's transporting the oxygen, nutrients, um, glucose to the active muscles in the brain. So when you've got less blood, that delivery is, is um, inhibited. But also, as that water component of your blood drops, your blood becomes thicker. And, it's not, and the heart's got to work a lot harder to pump that blood around the body. So that's why hydration is so important because the delivery of oxygen and nutrients and glucose to the brain is so important. But if that blood volume drops, you're not going to get those messages um, sent yeah. as quickly as normal. So, and that's where sodium also has a huge impact on how the brain and muscles function. Um, and just to give it a, a sort of a, an insight on, on sodium, because it gets a pretty bad rap in the media. Everyone's sort of like, oh, don't have salt on your food and all this sort of stuff. But from an athlete's perspective and performance... Yeah, we need it. Exactly. If the sodium <laughs> drops too low in the blood it's life threatening. You can actually die yeah. from having enough sodium in the bloodstream. Absolutely. Now, it's rare and it's obviously the extreme, but we're talking about performance here. We're, we're talking about the brain and the muscles functioning. So, you know, you're less likely to get fatigued, but importantly, less likely to make mistakes. Yeah. So that's why, you know, sodium is so important because once it starts, once the sodium concentration in your blood starts to drop, brain function is inhibited because that sodium is responsible for that spark that fires off those messages to break or to accelerate or to turn or to miss that tree and all those other things that, um, you know, if there's a rider that does something unexpected and you have to do something to avoid it, um, if your brain's not functioning as well as it could be, then you're less likely to make that decision as quick as you, you would like. So that's why all these things become really important in regards to how well you're hydrated and how well um, you're fueling the body as well. Yeah, for sure. Because that, like, that is a real thing, isn't it? It's, is it hyponatremia? If you actually drink too much water and mm. dilute your sodium levels, like in like you say, in extreme cases, people have actually died from drinking too much water, thinking they're probably doing the right thing. Exactly. Um, 
yeah, it, it actually dilutes the sodium concentrated in your blood. And, yeah. um, and once again, it's rare, but it's, it, it's a thing. It's an actual medical condition. But yeah. um, it sort of highlights how important sodium is. And the question is, how low does that sodium concentra- concentration need to drop before it starts to impact on muscle and brain function? So that's why with all the, all the guys that I work with, you know, um, Chucky and Daniel Milner and, and Lyndon, um, Fraser, uh, Lockie Stanford, all those guys. Yeah. Um, there's probably a few more I've missed out there, but that's a, the most important thing is to make sure that they start every race, whether it's a quali, whether it's just, you know, um, whatever it might be, that they're not starting with any deficiencies because they know how much it impacts on their performance um, because you, you'll never keep up with how much you lose. So you don't want to start with any deficiencies to begin with. Yeah. So in a practical sense, what, what does that look like for them? Like I know at Hatter you had those little, the little gel bottles with the electrolyte on the top for yeah, them to have in their, yeah, in that little flask at their fuel stops. What are they, are they just running water in their camelbacks or have they got, have they got electrolytes in there as well? Yeah. So they, so all the camelbacks, they got the tablets in there. Yeah. So, um, and you work that out off their, their sweat concentration. Yeah. yeah. So the amount they drank this year, although, um, it, it's, it's sometimes you need to trial because the thing is you could have two riders that lose the exact same amount of fluid or sorry, the exact, exact exact amount of sweat but one can tolerate a greater volume of fluid than the other um, because yeah. the stomach for whatever reason can tolerate um, more fluid. So it's understanding, you know, how much your stomach can tolerate as well without, you know, compromising it without, because once if you're not sweating much, but drinking a whole heap, it has a huge impact on your stomach and you just, mm. it, it really impacts on your performance. You just can't ride at the, intensity that you would like to. So um, while it's important to drink and hydrate, there's times where you're going to be drinking too much. And that's why we don't put any calories in our drink at all. It's why we have the hydration and your calories separate. Yeah. Because if you're relying on your calories in your drink, it locks you into a set volume. You have to drink all that, that, um, hydration pack to get your calories yeah and there's going to be times where you just don't need to drink that much and you're forcing yourself to or you think well i'm not thirsty i don't need to drink much and you don't get those calories that you need yeah and you start to fatigue yeah that's right so um you know there's going to be some some temperatures where it, it may work for you but um you know it's a it's a big risk um and the good thing by separating your hydration and your calories is you can make changes if you need to. If you, need, if you think oh, I'm drinking too much, I'll back off, or actually it's hotter than I thought it was going to be, I need to drink more, you can make those changes and adjust accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So they've got the electrolyte in their camelback and then the little flasks, which has, a, has how many calories will they consume in sort of per hour? So it, it depended on what size tank they were using. So yep. the, the riders that I was working with um, that were doing um, 
with a smaller tank who are stopping every lap, they would have one energy gel each lap. Yeah. Um, and then if they didn't feel like they got, they drank too much um, or didn't get an opportunity to drink from their hydration pack, they grab a drink as well um, during their fuel stop, but then make sure that um, they started off and then we're drinking through that, uh, through the pit section. Um, the riders with the bigger tank, we had the flasks and we put two gels in each, in each flask. And then we topped it up with a small amount of um, electrolyte just to make the gel a bit um, thinner. Yeah. And they would, they'd smash that down. Um, so although they were only stopping one every two laps, um, they were still getting the same amount of calories because they were taking um, two gels at the, at the one time. Um, but we practiced that to make sure that those that two gels weren't too much and they could actually tolerate that amount. And yeah. They, they were fine. Um, but, um, yeah, and that, that's the key is that, um, we were able to deliver a large amount of calories, but in a small volume. So it doesn't put too much pressure on the stomach. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably an important thing to mention too, is that, like nothing new should happen on race day. So those, your nutrition is, should be a massive part of your training program, testing those, your nutrition strategies and your hydration when you, when you're doing your practice rides or your training. Um, so it's just another box tick. So, you know, on the day that, that you've got that covered, that's going to work for you. Yeah, exactly. And it's learning what your stomach can tolerate. Um, yeah. And then that's the thing too, is that, um, you know, I could set a plan for you and it might be fine for you and your stomach can tolerate it, you know, without any problems, but, um, for whatever reason, um, and it could be an athlete that's even bigger than you, um, doesn't have the same digestive system and just can't tolerate the, the same amount. So it is really important to, uh, to practice those sort of things, particularly, um, in a, you know, a four hour event like Hatter, it's, um, such a, a brutal, grueling race or yeah, any, absolutely. any desert race for that or any endurance race for that matter. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I think people, well, people that haven't, haven't ridden one probably underestimate how, just how tough they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I'm in the book, you spoke about how you actually had a case of dehydration yourself. Um, it was it was it in a triathlon, I think. No, it was as a firefighter. As a firefighter, yeah. Yeah. So what what in your case there? Do you think that was like too much fluid or, or lack of sodium or? It w it was too much plain water. Yeah. Because um, I was measuring my sweat loss, and you know I worked out pretty quickly that I couldn't drink. You know, if I, and in some instances I was losing up to two and a half liters an hour, and. Uh, you know, I knew my stomach couldn't tolerate that much and my stomach could probably tolerate about 1.2 liters. That's a, and that's about the maximum um, the stomach can sort of process an hour. So um, I was drinking just plain water and it was over um, three successive days of um, um, bushfire fighting. Right. And yeah, I just started to feel like crap and ended up on the ground and um, consequently or subsequently ended up on um, a saline drip 
and I went from feeling like I was going to die and 10 minutes later feeling a million bucks. And that's, that was my trigger to uh, finding out what was in that bag. Yeah. And it was a one liter bag of water with 3000 milligrams of sodium. So um, just that getting that sodium back into the bloodstream, just picked me right back up again. And anyone that's had a saline drip, everyone's experienced the same thing. Um, yeah. And it's just, it just goes to show that once the sodium concentration of your blood drops too low, then there's really not much you can do. So um, that's, that became something that I researched really heavily and um, was part of all this other stuff that I was learning with these firefighters about, you know, how much sodium each, each of these firefighters were losing in sweat and then taking that knowledge then through to athletes um, and working out, you know, what athletes um, preferred in regards to the temperatures that they competed in. And some athletes will just do really well in the heat and some athletes just won't do well in the heat at all. Yeah. And that'll, it'll come down to the fact that um, the ones that do well in the heat will have a lower sweat rate and a lower sodium concentration in their sweat. Um, interestingly, um, having worked with so many uh, athletes now is that um, someone can have a bit higher sodium concentration in their sweat, but the volume of sweat that they lose is very low. So the accumulative amount of sodium they're losing is not that high. So there's a whole, there's so many variables. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been quite interesting. Yeah. So it's probably a bit of a defining moment for you, perhaps that dehydration yeah. case. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was huge. I've heard, led you I've down. Heard about, led you down this path. Yeah, I'd heard about people being on saline drips before and uh, and saying how fantastic they were, but <clears throat> it's not until you experience one yourself. Yeah. That you realise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess from every challenging situation, there's potential value, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, I took um, uh, the pretty uh, the dire um, consequence into something that you know I learned a lot about, and yeah, I never got close to experiencing that problem before because I, 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 I knew then that um, I needed to have water and sodium. Like just having the one wasn't doing the job properly um, because I just diluted my sodium concentration so much that uh yeah that it it was actually a it's pretty scary you know passing out and um not knowing why but absolutely yeah so yeah i know you mentioned before that some well some of us can tolerate more calories more volume in the gut than others so what do you recommend for those people that sort of can't tolerate as much have you had cases where people really struggle um, even with one gel or, or something like that? Um, it, it really just then comes down to timing. Um, yeah. Because obviously as you're taking more gel, so, um, you know, the, the thing with motocross enduro is that you're governed by how often you're stopping to fuel. <clears throat> so it's, um, it's something that, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a, it's an individual thing in that I think most people can tolerate one gel every 30 minutes. Yeah. Particularly at that intensity because they're losing so many calories. Like um, for instance, Chucky, uh, his average heart rate 
was about 170 for Hatter. And yeah, that's losing upwards of 900 calories an hour. It's massive, yeah. But we're only getting about 230-odd calories into him each hour. And the fact is, that's probably the maximum amount we can get in anyway because um, he, only, he only gets to stop every hour or so. So it's, it's that... Um, it's, it's really, you know, I can't say, well, you know, just aim for this much because everyone is so different. But mm. I think one gel every 30 minutes is, is pretty manageable for, for most, from my experience. Yeah. Yeah, particularly at that intensity. So if, if someone's putting around at 40K an hour, then their energy expenditure is not that high. So they could probably warrant taking a gel every hour. Yeah. But... <clears throat> I've got a little bit of a theory on that. I think for some, even for the slower riders out there, I think if you probably track their heart rate because they're, I reckon they're not as, definitely not as fit as Chucky. They're definitely not as good a rider. So they're probably hitting every single freaking bump on the track. So although in a lot of cases they're, they're definitely slower, I reckon they're probably, their level of exertion and their heart rate would probably be on a par in some instances. Mm. Yeah, de- like definitely not as efficient getting around the track as someone like Chucky would be. Yeah, well, that, and that's the thing too is that um, if you've got if you go into one of those races not as fit as you could be, <clears throat> you're really going to notice it a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that's another thing you do mention in the book about just how important that that training and conditioning is um, as part of the process leading up to the event. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like when I mentioned that calorie expenditure <clears throat> is that there's always going to be a gap between how much you're expending and how much your stomach can tolerate. And the better conditioned and fitter that you are, the better you can tolerate that gap. Um, when you're not as fit and not as well conditioned, then you're going to feel more fatigued, obviously, a lot quicker. Um, yeah. So, yeah, particularly, you know, Anyone that's doing that event again next year um, need to start training, you know, at least six months out and getting some, not, not just on the motorbike, but, you know, getting out on the mountain bike or the road bike and doing three and four hour bike rides, but making sure that your heart rate's at a, you know, quite an elevated rate for that period of time. Yeah. It allows you to condition and be able to tolerate that heart rate zone for a longer period. Um, and when when you are fitter and better conditioned, um, you, you know you you've switched on. You're, you're less likely to make mistakes as well because um, you can tolerate those deficiencies much better. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So is that something you also help Chucky with? Like I know I've seen your little video that you did with Chucky, with doing a bit of the off bike training stuff with him. Is that yeah. something you do actually help him out with as well, or we um. We got together January because he got back from Europe and he was carrying a bit of weight. Um, so, but we, we did some specific um, work um, just in the gym that he then took that and then and set up his own stuff at, at home. Yeah. Um, but very specific exercises to the actual um, uh, movements and muscles that you use when you're riding a bike. Um, so that was um, something that he worked really hard on 
um, in areas where he worked on areas that he could improve on. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's the thing too, is that, um, you, you know, you take note of when you get off your bike and, and where you might be the sorest. And for a lot of riders, particularly because you've got to hug, hug around the um, tank, the inner, inner thigh becomes really quite sore and, and, um, and fatigued. So um, just doing exercises to strengthen up that area, um, or it could be your shoulders, it could be the muscles in your back, it could be your glutes, <clears throat> a whole range of things. So just take note of those things that you feel are the sorest and then work on them at home or the gym or whatever, um, just using different specific um, exercises to strengthen those areas. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the big focuses like uh, we have here in our gym that, that I train my clients with is all posterior chain stuff, strengthening up the back of the posterior chain. Yeah. I think too often people sort of focus on the front of the body. Yeah. But yeah. Like you say, where when we're riding the bike, it's we're using the back of the body a lot where we should be if mm. if the back of the body's strong. Um, you're using just about well, you're using every single muscle in the body. You are you are using it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's um, yeah, it, it the sport is uh, I think that everyone's starting to recognise now how fit these you know the higher end motocross guys are, and and you have to be. Um, you've got to be elite level fitness to be um, riding as fast and, and for as long as they do. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so yeah, talking, I think I saw, I saw one of Chucky's posts earlier in the year. He said he'd actually lost 10 kilos or thereabouts. Yeah. Is that, and that's a little bit of what you've got in the book, which I actually did want to speak about was the, was everyday nutrition like having talking about sports nutrition race day nutrition you can't just have a few gels on race day and expect that you're going to perform at your best like it, it does as you could hopefully share with us it does come down a lot to what you're eating during the week of course yeah we actually fuel in your body yeah we um so it was actually when uh, Chucky and um, Ty Simmons were racing last year uh, for the KTM team. Oh, oh sorry, the year before. Sorry, yeah. um, the year before. Because um, Ben Graben was the manager at the time. And he said, mate, you, we need to get Chucky organised with his diet because he just ate crap food. <laughs> so um, we we sorted out his diet, but the most important thing, <clears throat> cause we'd already done it with Ben with Grabo. Yeah. And we did a, a, a market a supermarket tour and we'd go through and pick out the foods that he'd normally select. And we wouldn't read the nutritional information panel. We would just read the ingredients list. And what we wanted to um, eliminate was any refined crystalline form sugars. Um, so it was just looking for the word sugar or um, sucrose um, you know, the um, raw sugar, brown sugar, yeah. that sort of thing. And they so try and disguise it in plenty of ways these days, don't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what we do, we go, okay, well, that's sugar. Let's look for an alter alternative. And uh, so, you know, people are caught under the impression that fruit is full of sugar and you shouldn't eat it, but it's a naturally occurring uh, sugar. 
So it's pure, completely fine for you. Yeah, um, it's got plenty of fiber in there too, right? Yeah, and all your nutrients. Um, it's just that refined crystalline form sugar that's in a lot of packaged foods that you need to try and to avoid. Yeah. Um, so we did that. And the difference with Grabo is that, you know, he lost a bit of weight, but importantly, um, just felt so much better, you know, all day, had energy. Um, it, but it, it's hard to actually get off. Um, and I've had a lot of athletes call me just freaking out. It was like they're coming off crack or something like that. They just have a really hard time. Um, yeah. So we, we did that with Chucky, cleaned up his diet, and he was actually really, he was, did a really good job. He, was, he, he noticed a huge difference. But most importantly is he became a lot more consistent. He wasn't good one week and then not so good the next. It was just consistency all the time. Yeah. Um, so that was the biggest thing. And um, just that understanding that when you do eat well, um, a lot of athletes under the impression that I do all this exercise, I can eat whatever I like. But it's actually the, it's the opposite. You do all this exercise in that you need to be even cleaner um, because eating crap food, just, it just takes up too much energy. It requires a lot more energy to metabolize. Um, so that's energy you can be using somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, just eating clean and just looking at food and going, okay, how many processes has this food been through? And that's the best way to look at it. Um, so, you know, fruit and vegetables, like no processes or nuts, you know, all, all those sorts of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Just trying to minimize as much processed food as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, really that's, good that's, approach. Which is hard to do sometimes, you know, because you've got to be more organized and better prepared. But definitely, certainly, it's well worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess that's my thought process there, too. Like, I'm definitely guilty of I used to eat terribly. It's only been the last five years that I've cleaned my nutrition up. Um, and I was of the exact same belief that I was active. It didn't matter, I'd just burn it off. Yeah, of course, we know that's not true. <laughs> no, um, but that, that's my thought process now is that particularly at a three hour or four hour event, we're placing a lot of stress on our body. And then if you're going to Macca's on the way home or whatever it is, then you're that's just placing a shitload more stress on your body. So that's it. And, and stress is like one of the biggest killers. Yes, it's going to impede our our health and our recovery. So that's it. It, it all starts with the cells. Yeah. And, uh, if the cells aren't functioning properly, nothing else is going to follow. So um, when when you eat processed, refined foods, um, because the body doesn't recognise it, you're actually borrowing nutrients from your own cells to metabolise those foods, and you're continually borrowing because those foods don't have the nutrients required to actually for the body metabolize the food quickly. Yeah. So you're having to borrow all the time. And that's the thing. What you, what you recognize is that you don't need to be having coffee all the time or stimulants to make you feel like you feel okay. Cause you feel good all the time anyway. So that's, that's the big difference when you start to clean up uh, the type of foods you eat. Yeah, for sure. Food. Like not, never touch any soft drink at all. Like just yeah. cut them out completely. 
and even like like your your normal sports drinks that you get, people think they're like Gatorade things like these, mm. like not the best choice, are they? No, well, it's just it's all refined, crystalline form sugar. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's nothing good about a soft drink. Yeah, no. Um, because yeah, like I. I, some of the top writers I do follow, um, I see them all the time posting up photos on their stories of their of what they're eating on the way home, like their cheat meal on the way home, their recovery meal. Yeah, <laughs> which is takeaway like fried foods. Like it's and a lot of people think that that's the best time to have a cheat meal is after, but it's it's quite often not the case, isn't it? No, it's not at all. It's um your body. You've just put your body through, uh, you know, through intense workout that, you know, the, the last thing you want to be eating is foods that your body's not going to respond to or relate to. And it actually needs to work harder to metabolize those type of things. So you're using more energy. Um, you know, when you're young, you can get away with it because you're generating so many cells but or re- regenerating so many cells. But as you get older, um, it becomes even more important to to uh, eat properly because you're just not generating as many cells anymore. And uh, you just feel like, um, you know, it's, it's just a downward spiral when you're, uh, when you're not eating the right things. Yeah. We definitely start to pay for it a bit more when we get older, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Your recovery, (laughs) your recovery is much slower. Um, And that's comes down to the fact you're not generating as many cells. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are some of the recovery protocols you recommend for your guys? Uh, Hydration is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, that Making sure that you get that blood volume back and importantly get that sodium concentration back as well. Um, so, you know, a lot go to the cupboard and grab their protein powders, but it's not really doing much for you. Um, rehydration is the single most important thing. Um, probably not so much during winter where it's cold, you're not losing as much, but summertime when you're active um, and sweating a lot, that that will have the biggest impact on how well you recover after each session. Yeah. Yeah. And like with the sodium, like we mentioned before, when you do sort of clean up your diet, that's another thing that's in every single processed food is sodium, right? So when you do go to more of a whole foods type approach, with your diet, it's it's really important to actually add salt to our meals, isn't it? It is, particularly for athletes. Um, yeah. Yeah, sodium gets a bad rap, but it gets a bad rap to 65% of the population who are overweight and eat a lot of processed foods and don't do any exercise. Yeah. And, and that, unfortunately, is what we hear most of. It's, it's, it's about a demographic that is in no way relatable to the guys you work with or the people I work with. Um, so adding salt to your food and, you know, a good salt, like, you know, Himalayan pink salt or sea salt or something like that um, is actually beneficial because um, we don't, we don't manufacture our own sodium. We need to replace it. And particularly in the warmer months when we're losing a lot of sweat, it's actually a really difficult mineral to replace. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I every single athlete I work with um, starts to put salt in their food and notices a, a, a difference in how they feel. Yeah. Such an important mineral. Yeah. Mm. 
and like you said before, it's a bit like sugar, isn't it? Like it's totally refined table salt. Yeah. Um, Bleached. Exactly. <laughs> so looking at, yeah, your Himalayan salts or Celtic sea salts, things like that are a really good option as yeah. opposed to your standard table salt. Yeah. Just a, you know, least amount of processes as possible. Yeah. 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 You know, and I always use, it's good working with motorsports because you always use the analogy that you just wouldn't put shit fuel in your bike. That's exactly right. That's what I tell all my guys. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the same things go, goes for the body. It, it, it's a machine. So, yeah. you know, you're only going to get out what you put in. Um, and if you put a standard cheap fuel in your bike, it's just not going to go as well. Um, and the body's the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I would love to ask you, Daryl, you've, you've obviously worked with all these high-level races and top-level athletes. Um, mindset, I, I believe it's probably the defining factor that separates the best from the rest is their mindset and their ability to, I guess, block out all the noise on race day or, or when they're competing and get in a flow state and just ride how they, like they know how to ride. Mm. Is that something, or how how do you see that, like the the mindset that these top level riders bring to race day? Is that something you think that we're sort of born with, or do you think it's something that is trainable? I think a lot of it is genetics. Um, there's going to be some riders that can process information so much faster than others um, that they can. Um, just read a track or a trail um, and just be able to um, make a decision so much quicker and so much more efficiently than someone else. Um, so that's one thing. Um, from a mindset or a mental thing, when things start to get harder, um, some athletes have the ability to still um, manage to go the same pace even though they're hurting massively, other athletes will get to that point where they start to hurt and they'll just start to slow down. Um, now, I don't know if that's trainable. I think a lot of it, it's just um, they're able to do that. Um, and you see it with endurance athletes all the time is some are able to tolerate pain much better than others. Um, when things start to really hurt, um, they can just continue to hold that same pace where others just can't they're just not able to so it's actually one that i'm really interested in and i've been sort of watching for many years over different endurance athletes um you know it, it may be trainable to a certain point but there's some athletes that just just naturally have it yeah yeah yeah, I, th I think it's all—it's almost like mindfulness, almost like being able to not like when the when it does get painful, when it does get hard, and not focusing on that, being able yeah. to sort of block that out and just focus on what you're actually doing. And just getting the job done. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, there's some athletes who are just like I said, they just they can tolerate pain just much easier than others. Yeah. Um, and, and be able to shut it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. 
It is. It's fascinating. Yeah. Mm. I think. I think one of the big things that makes can make a big difference is just ha- being prepared, like being conditioned, to, knowing you've done the training, knowing you've got your nutrition right. All those little things, ticking all those little boxes in your lead up, in your preparation. So when you get to the to the race, if, if it's Hatter or whatever it is, then you know within yourself that you've done everything within your power, so you're ready. There's no, you're not questioning yourself, you're not doubting yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's and that's um, you know, when if you're going into an event and it's the day before and someone's asking you, oh, what should I do? Um, it's always a bit of concern. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, if it was an onion, if it was an hour race, then, you know, no worries. You can sort of, you can get away with it. But um, that, that third and fourth, like, like, you know, after two hours, those last two hours in that event, it's, it's always so hard because you've got to a point where those deficiencies start to impact on muscle function. Um, cramping starts to happen. Um, you start to make little mistakes like change down when you're supposed to change up or change up when you're supposed to change down or break too early or grab too much front break. Um, you know, not execute the, the turn as well as you'd like all those sort of things start to creep in. Um, and that's, that's got to do with, um, you know, whether you've been fueling yourself properly with the brains getting, you know, a, a, a good amount of uh, glucose um, <clears throat> whether the blood volumes dropped, um, whether the sodium concentration in your blood's dropped, all those things, whether it's all three or one of them, it'll start to impact on on how you function. So mm. if you go into that race knowing, okay, this is kind of much how much I'm going to be expending or losing, this is how much my stomach can tolerate in these sort of conditions, then having that plan makes things, um, yeah, like you say, just so much easier um going in with that uh, with that understanding yeah it just removes another level of of doubt or uncertainty i suppose definitely definitely yeah um so a couple of things i did want to ask you mate to sort of wrap up a little bit um you've obviously like built a business from the ground up yep. um and like even to to be a firefighter who, I guess, experienced a bit of dehydration and then to take it, to be that inquisitive, to take it to that next level, to actually produce a product that um, could benefit people, like, that's pretty, you must be pretty driven, pretty motivated person. Um, what, is there any sort of daily routines or non-negotiables you, you sort of, try and include in your day to maintain motivation to keep moving forward? Um, no, I, I just love, cause it's, it's always changing and I'm always working with different athletes. Yeah. Um, and so that's always new. And the, 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 the best thing is that you're always learning something new as well. So, you know, that's why I never, and we start on that word expert um, and why there's no such thing um, because every single athlete I work with um, while I might, it might be the same sport. There's going to be something different that you learn from them. And whether that is their unique um, physiological makeup or their digestive system or their mental function on how they handle things is always different. So that's good. But 
um, from a business perspective, it's always been about giving the athlete something that will help them, will benefit them. Um, but most importantly, making sure that they have an understanding that um, while they are using the product, they need to ensure that they are actually using it properly um, and to, to trial different things. And interestingly, with the electrolyte tablet, um, a lot of it comes down to palatability. So um, there might be some athletes that, you know, might, let's say for an instance, you have a two, a two liter hydration pack. Um, some athletes might put four tablets in that hydration pack and find that, okay, well, that tastes nice and it's palatable. But then other athletes will sort of play around with it, go, okay, actually, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and see if I can tolerate a greater mix. And they might put six tablets in a, in a two liter pack. And interestingly, it comes down to palatability. And if someone has a higher sodium concentration in their sweat, they can tolerate that six tablet mix and find it quite palatable. But um, if someone has a lower sodium concentration in their sweat, they would try that six tablet mix and find it too overpowering. So um, just different things like that and being able to communicate with the athlete and if they're having problems, you know, just refining things and seeing, you know, okay, well, this worked here, but you know, what problem? Oh, well, I'm probably a drink too much or not enough or I'll get bike riders ring up, say, oh, you know, had some real stomach problems. We go, okay, well, what'd you drink? Oh, this much. I drank the same as much as I did the race before. Okay, but what was the temperature in there? Oh, it was a lot colder. Yeah. Oh, right. So I didn't need to drink as much. And they're like, okay, right. So there's all those sorts of things. Um, and that's always um, something that the athlete can then take away. And because they've experienced it, they can sort of um, um, recognize the mistake that they've made and then then fix it for next time. Um, so there's always, there's always those things, which keeps it fresh, which is good. Yeah. Always learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Forever, forever a student. eh? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone. <laughs> well, mate, the, the human body is so freaking complex. Um, and there's so many variables that, yeah, we'll, we, we'll never have a true understanding of it. Um, because what will work, like, you know, we've said it before, what's going to work for one is not going to work for someone else. So that's why you need to keep, you know, um, practicing and working out what is the best formula for you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you had one tip for, for young riders that are like coming through the ranks, who are trying to look into sort of, I guess be the next Chucky or the next yep. Milner. Yep. Um, trying to take as far as they can. What What would you say to them? Um, that they have to have a mindset of an elite athlete. Yeah. They have to um, recognise that for them to be a very very good motorbike rider, they have to be. They have to have a fitness level of, um, you know, your top triathletes, um, top. Uh, runners like they have to have that mindset that they can um, get to the gym and do those workouts when they don't actually feel like doing them um, getting out on the mountain bike or the road bike and doing those three and four hour uh, rides 
um, <clears throat> and being as fit as they possibly can and um, conditioned so they can tolerate the rigours of riding that intensity for that period of time because it is extraordinarily difficult. Um, and sadly, most people don't understand how, how grueling motocross, endurance motocross riding is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough sport. Absolutely. And, and like we say, it, it's super stressful on the body. So mm. it, it, and I think I, that's probably something I experienced from not eating correctly. Like I probably ended up pretty unhealthy towards the end of my career, a racing career. Yeah. From just, yeah, not eating the right food, not eating enough foods and not eating the right foods. Um, mm. can act, it's not a good place to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for everything today, Daryl. It's been awesome. Yeah, awesome amount of knowledge and some, some nuggets there that people can take away some practical knowledge. Yeah. Um, cool. Can we tell the listeners where they can find you? Where's the best place for them to get a hold of your products and maybe even purchase the book? It's um, shotsnutrition.com.au. Just straight through the website? Yeah, straight through the website. That's the best place to go. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Daryl. Thank you no very worries. much for being on today. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me, mate. It was uh, good talking to you. Thank you. All right, mate. Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength. That's www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I'd really appreciate if you give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.